Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome to all of our listeners. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen. And I'm cult survivor, cult expert, Sadie Carpenter. How is your life today, Sadie? How are you feeling? Feeling good. Um, gonna go make some more jam when we're done with this. <laughs> Yes, that sounds delicious. I'm excited for you. Jam is fun. Jam is nice. Jam is a sweet holiday treat that we all love to enjoy. But yesterday, we sat down with somebody who is more famous than both of us put together. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, we, we uh, talked to Alora Dodd, who is a disability advocate slash TikTok content creator slash comedian slash ex-fundamentalist, all in all a very hilarious person because we wanted to ask her about experiences of neurodivergent people who grew up in fundamentalism, and she has a lot of valuable insight on that topic. Yeah, I'm so happy we got to have Alora because she is fall down laughing, funny, personal friend of mine. Uh, yes, that is a brag. And truly informed somebody who has learned about the experience of neurodivergence and fundamentalism she lived it herself but she has also done extensive research she has made conclusions based on her own experience and that research she knows what she's talking about i'm so happy that we got to have her on our show 
Yeah. And I also really admire the passion with which she spoke, but also just like the, the I, it was, it was very theatrical in nature. You know what it felt like to me? Have you ever seen those like behind the scenes clips of when Robin Williams was recording the dialogue as the genie in Aladdin? Yes. <laughs> I had to mute my microphone for like a good portion of it because I would have just been laughing too hard and that would have just completely distracted from the whole thing. I I can't wait to share this interview with you guys. And so we're just going to get into that. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host, cult expert, cult survivor, Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. If you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, then there's a number of things that you can do to help support us you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our subreddit and our Facebook group. Both of those are called Eden Exodus. Um, if you join our Patreon, you will get access to an extended and uncensored and ad-free version of most of our episodes, as well as it comes out a couple of days early. So you get it on uh, Friday night or Saturday morning, depending on your time zone, rather than having to wait all the way until Monday. And so that's cool. Oh, we also have holiday merch up for sale. Get it while it's hot so that it will arrive before your holiday or or Christmas celebration. I think we only have Christmas merch. I don't think we have uh, any Hanukkah merch up, sadly. But we have some holiday merch. You make the merch. You can make Hanukkah merch if you want it. That's true. I could have done that, but I chose not to, sadly. Um, You haven't made the design that I want either, though. So it's it's What's the design that you want? The Leaving It In podcast, Not A Cult We Swear shirt. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll launch that in the spring. I, okay. uh, Yeah. But actually, we just had um, a vote from our patrons on uh, which holiday merch design they wanted to see. There's one that was just going up for everyone. It's a Christmas tree. It says paganism on it as like, if you know, you know. Um, and I have to check which one was the winning design for the patron vote. But uh those are available on our Threadless shop. Okay, well, then I guess it's just time for us to thank our patrons. We have four I Gave It All to your patrons. Your names are Kathleen Moncrief, Melora King, Melissa Mosley, and Todd Dale on behalf of his lovely Deconstruct Arena of a Wife, Madeline Antrim. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to the I Gave It All tier of our Patreon in, in this season of giving. We truly appreciate our patrons more than ever. Our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, your names are Alex P., Ali Allen, Am Israel Chai, Autumn of Our Discontent, Brittany, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dan the Transman, Dora J., Eleanor Donahue, Hannah Ross, Hannah Montana, Hoosier X Fundy, Hope Norum, Horton Here's a Shane, Janine Collin, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Henwood, Kay Turwee, Kristen Marie, Learned Vixen, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Marsha Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Melissa G, Rob the Methodist, Chartuterie, Stephanie Johnson, Steve and Amy, Susie, Tara, Mac Namera, 
And as always, Wes the Cowboy, thank you guys so much for joining our Patreon. We love you so much. And thank you to anyone who supports our Patreon and just the people who listen to our show, recommend it to your family, your friends, your coworkers, your hated uh, darkest, deepest enemies who you have sworn a vendetta against. Um, (laughs) All those people. Huge thank you, especially to our Faith Promise Missions and I Gave It All patrons, but to everybody who supports us on Patreon and those who support us in different ways. We appreciate all of you. We have a show because of our audience. Thank you so much. Uh, do you want to hit us with the TW before we get into this episode and then we'll get on our way? Sure thing. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide, mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical and sexual abuse and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics. We try to avoid graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story that we're telling. And we give our audience a heads up if we are going to go into detail on any of these topics or anything else that we know can be triggering to people. This episode has extended discussion of the experience of being neurodivergent in fundamentalism, the blame and shame and guilt that come along with that, purity culture, modesty culture, and it contains a discussion of self-harm and suicidal thoughts that does not have any details attached to that. We will give a TW before the discussion of self-harm and suicidal thoughts for anybody who needs to know. All right. No, it says five, four, three, two, one. We are rolling. Uh, Can I get uh, Sadie? Can I get a a level from you? This is my level. My level is normal and neurotypical. No, it's not. Uh, Alora, can I get a uh, level from you? Welcome to the Leaving Eden podcast, where normal people turn out to be gay and mentally broken. <laughs> I'm going to use okay. that for the intro. Bobby, cancel all of our promos. That is my new promo, my tagline. It's going on my business card. Oh, okay, my I'm going to do disclaimer and know. introduce Alora. Hold on. I mean, I... <laughs> So as a disclaimer, we know that language around disability rights and neurodivergence is changing really quickly right now. And we love that. As a language geek, I love getting to see and participate in this changing language to bring inclusive language. But not all of the language around neurodivergence in particular is settled or done yet. For example, we all know the Arsler is done, over, never to be used again, done for. But on the other hand, some people really prefer the term people with autism, while other people strongly prefer autistic people. So I want to recognize in light of that, we are going to try to do our very best to get things right today. But what we say today might not still be the correct and accepted term in six months or a year or a few years if you're listening to this in the future. So please give us some grace for that. I was asked, I think in a Q&A quite a while back, what kind of experience neurodivergent people have in the IFB? And my answer wasn't the answer that I would give now. I said something like people with ADHD may have a really rough time because often the solution is beating it out of them. But people with autism might not have as bad of an experience as you would fear. 
since then, I've learned a lot about the many different ways that autism affects people. I think that people with really high support needs will often find compassion in fundamentalism. Although there are absolutely some groups within the IFB that would do the opposite, consider them to be demon-possessed or rebellious. But what I definitely got wrong when I said that was the experience of neurodivergent people who have lower support needs or are more able to mask. That was something that I was not educated on for reasons that we will explore in this podcast. So to rectify my mistake there, we have disability expert, online content creator, Alora Dodd, known as Online One Room Schoolhouse, here on the show to talk with us about all things neurodivergent, fundamentalism, evangelicalism. Welcome, Alora. We are so happy to have you. Hi, Sadie. I'm so glad to be here. My dog is currently having a meltdown because our new neighbors moved in across the street and they also have a dog and they've decided oh. that they hate each other. So I threw some treats in her ball pit. Can you hear the rattling? No, no. I cannot hear the rattling. <laughs> oh, perfect. Because it's very noisy over here and I can't hear you very well at all. Oh, man. I just want to say that it's fantastic to have you on this show. Uh, I actually, I told one of my friends that you were coming on. I, I've told a couple of my friends that you're coming on and people are like, oh, really? Like they, people I know in real life know who you are. And so that, that kind of makes me feel like a little bit of a celebrity. Uh, <laughs> that happened to me a few months ago. Um, one of my friends, one of my former coworkers who follows Alora online, you mentioned us in a video and then... <laughs> My former coworker sent me the video like, you know her? What? I'm very popular among atheists who watch VeggieTales. That sounds like your demographic. <laughs> Welcome to the Leaving Eden podcast, where atheists go to learn the lore behind VeggieTales. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> For those that don't know, Alora, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, uh, to our to our listeners. Uh, sure. My name is Laura, and this is the voice I use when I'm trying to act calm, but my dog is really bothering me. Typically, I sound a bit more country, um, but when my dog is being annoying, I sometimes turn into a wealthy widow from an 80s movie. Um, I grew up kind of, I would call it Christian fundamentalist, but other people might not. Um, I grew up Southern Baptist, but like the Southern Baptist that really bear down um, in a conservative um, home. We were homeschooled, so I didn't have much exposure to the outside world at all and um, had very high stakes religion. And now I am a homosexual. It's my impression that the church that you were raised in was very fundamentalist, even though they were not necessarily part of the IFB, that doesn't disclude them from being a very fundamentalist church, a biblical literalist church or anything like that. I would describe it as my youth pastor had a stick up his ass. So I'm not really sure what everyone else's experiences were, but I had the same youth pastor from seventh grade through 12. He was very into the whole don't ever mess up. Jesus hates you thing. <laughs> he didn't say it like that. He was very good at being like, I'm not saying God hates you. I'm just saying if you curse in front of your friends who don't go to church, they're going to say, well, she goes to church. 
and she doesn't take the Bible seriously, so Jesus must not be real. And they might never accept Jesus because of that. And so that's the sort of sermon I heard all the time. And it messes you up as a kid to think that if you ever make a mistake, random strangers will be plunged into the pit. Well, that's it's an example of black and white thinking. Uh, can you talk about how fundamentalist thinking and black and white thinking uniquely affects neurodivergent people maybe differently than neurotypical people? Absolutely. But first, I think we need to define some terms. Neurodivergent means someone whose brain does not fit the typical, normal default structure that we think of in our heads. Um, and you could make an argument that there's no such thing as a default brain. I think that's a decent argument. But like it or not, we have this idea of a certain way that people will think, interpret information, learn, grow, and so on. And people who do not fit that mold are called neurodivergent. Neurodiverse is similar. It just means diverse. So like neurodivergent brains and not neurodivergent brains. People mix those up a lot. In this case, um, are you asking me, Sadie, about neurodivergence in general or about autism and ADHD, which are very similar um, in many ways? And a lot of times when people say neurodivergent, what they mean is autism and ADHD. However, the neurodivergent umbrella also covers things like fetal alcohol syndrome, Down syndrome, depression, and anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah, which means I am officially neurodivergent. Although how many different kinds of it remains to be seen? This is the part where Gabby's going to insert a mysterious music playing in the background. Oh, I hope so. Okay, uh, what kind of vibe are we going for our mysterious music? Is it like theater organ or is it like... Uh... 80s Widow is our theme for the day. So something that you would play when she opens the front door to find policemen saying, your husband is found dead under mysterious circumstances and she's wearing a mysteriously elaborate robe. And you're thinking to yourself, she does not seem particularly bothered. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll think of something. And uh, listeners, let me know. You're obviously hearing that, whatever that is right now. Um, and let me know <laughs> afterwards if you thought the music was accurate, inaccurate to the vibe. Gavi said, let's have Alora on. I don't think he knew that he was going to be asked to be a human soundboard. <laughs> I mean, like, I've I've seen some of your TikToks and stuff. Sadie sent me some of your TikToks. I'm like, okay, great. This will be a fantastic <laughs> guest to talk about this topic. I did not know the half of it, but I'm glad to have you here. And thank you for being here. Thanks. Welcome to the Legion Eden podcast, where we learn to murder our husbands in a God-honoring way. <laughs> <laughs> Between this interview and Rachel Peach, I have never laughed so hard. <laughs> Welcome okay, to the so, Eden Podcast, where we learn how to be modest while wearing elaborate robes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We've all uh, seen the movies. She finds out her husband's dead, and you're like, wow, that's a lot of fabric for such a stunning <laughs> revelation. So, let, okay, let's zero in on what people mean when they typically say neurodivergent. What unique challenges do people with ADHD and people with autism face in fundamentalism? Awesome. People with ADHD and autism are similar in some ways. I know that might offend some people. There's a lot of talk about whether they will be eventually combined into one 
larger diagnosis. But there are a lot of areas of overlap, including special interests and hyperfixations, struggling with certain kinds of executive function, um, struggling with certain kinds of social activities, needing to stim a lot. That's too much to get into right now. That's not the purpose of this show. I'm just letting you know that I'm not just pulling this out of my arse. This is a, a, a widely discussed phenomenon of the differences and similarities between autism and ADHD. So we're going to think of them in this episode as kind of um, sister diagnoses. Okay. They can be very different, but they can also be similar. And we're going to kind of refer to them as one thing, even though they, they are distinct in many people's minds. So some of the issues that autistic and ADHD people might face in church come down to autistic and ADHD people's need to stim. Stimming is when you bite your nails when you're nervous, jump up and down because you're excited, pace because you just can't focus on your paper. It's some sort of stimulation you give your body that helps you focus, helps your brain clear, helps you deal with an excess of emotion. Uh, it's a very broad category. We do all sorts of things to stim. We don't even think about it. However, autistic and ADHD people tend to need to stim at a much higher level than the average person. This is a problem when you're going to a church that believes being still is a sign of holiness. I've seen that play out so many times in church. It's not even funny. The Leaving Eden podcast, where we discover new kinds of trauma we didn't know we had, but turns out other people have them too. I so when I so when I was talking, <laughs> that's one of many like ways. I should be clear: there are so many ways autistic and ADHD people can struggle in church. I just thought that was a good one to start with. That's a pretty general one that I think is going to be pretty relatable to a lot of people, though. Yeah. So, when I to, to throw it back to my original answer in the Q and A episode that we did forever ago, I before <clears throat> I started to notice all of the neurodivergent traits that I have, I would have said something like, "I never had a tr- I never had problems sitting still in church or sitting still in school as a child." But when I challenged that belief. I remembered that I would sit with my hands folded in my lap so that I could squeeze my fingers together in complicated mm-hmm. patterns and focus on the patterns like pinkies and then ring fingers and then middle fingers and then pointer fingers um, and then mix different patterns of that together or rhythmic patterns. Um, I remembered taking wearing a necklace to church so that I could take it off and wrap it between my fingers different ways. Um, I remember tapping my toe a certain, like, let's do a hundred times or 200 times. And all of these being the ways that I sat still in church as a child. And let's not forget the all-time favorite, highlighting your Bible too much. Oh, I never highlighted my Bible. because what? You didn't even <laughs> underline it? If no, because like, I, I couldn't- can't handle the stress of sitting still. Oh, look. Psalms 112. That feels like it should be emphasized. No, because whenever I would because whenever I would highlight in my Bible, I couldn't get the lines perfectly straight and it bugged me. Jesus Christ, this is 
I used to take the little like the little envelopes you use to put your donations in the offering plate if you want to be all discreet. And I would hide them in the hymnal to play a little game called Find the Bookmark. Unfortunately, it's a phenomenally easy game. It did not hold my attention long enough. I would sometimes take my shoes off in church and play little games with my toes going up and down. You know, you ever play like, oh, I'm going to go on my tiptoes while seated so I can understand proverbs that's a fun game how about um uh running your hands along the seams of every single item of clothing you're wearing especially the hem so you're just sticking your fingernail in the hem of your clothes and just pulling them along and i would like to emphasize that everyone stims this is a normal human experience but autistic and adhd people need to stim at a much higher level to function than the average person. So a normal person might stim when they are overwhelmed. An autistic person might stim just friggin' always to achieve the same level of function. <laughs> when you are in church, they want you to be sitting still so that you're focusing on Jesus. Alternatively, there are some very charismatic churches where you're supposed to bounce up and down and wave tambourines or else you're not feeling the spirit. So it's really this throw up in the air thing of, do I go to a church where stimming is evil or do I go to a church where I'm so overwhelmed by everyone else's stimming that I can't focus no matter how much I stim myself? It hurts. So speaking of things that hurt, I know something you've talked about a lot on Instagram is the overlap between modesty culture and sensory issues with clothing. Can we jump into that one? Oh, yes, we can. See, this was one that I think that we rightfully decided we want to block out a lot of time to talk about this topic. What, like two weeks ago, we had a whole episode where we talked about... Um, excuse me, where we talked about uh, uh, modesty uh, rules and, and clothing and that, and how uncomfortable so much of the clothing was that especially women and femme people had to wear. I can only yeah. imagine that if you're a person who deals with sensory issues on a regular basis, this would, you know, that the issues with this would be increased tenfold. So autistic and ADHD people, especially autistic, this is one that's much more um, focused on uh, autism. Just know that everything I say about autism, some ADHD people experience it and vice versa. I'm not trying to get into that complicated scientific issue right now. I'm just trying to make sure no one feels left out. So that's okay. Uh, can you give our listeners a kind of a rundown of what you what you've already shared on Instagram relating to this? I've shared a lot on Instagram. Autistic people tend to have very alert senses. We all have our own preferences. You know, someone might hate the feeling of one fabric while another person loves the feeling of that fabric. But we are so incredibly on high alert when it comes to our senses that something that is mildly uncomfortable for someone else can be agonizing for us. So what are some specific clothing rules that you experienced growing up that got in the way of your sensory issues? 
Um, have you ever heard of Bermuda shorts? Yes, I have heard of this garment. Them. I've heard Bermuda shorts were banned, Sadie. Here's the thing. When you're a little autistic kid and you need to go to church camp, they tell you, you must wear modest clothing so that the boys do not become overwhelmed as their brains explode for the sight of your inner thigh. So your mom will buy you Bermuda shorts and they are a rough fabric. You know, they're like khakis, but as thick as jeans. And they wrinkle. And every time you bend over, the back of the short starts going creeping up your thigh, wiggling on all the hairs. And then you stand back up, and that back of the shorts goes down your thigh, wiggling all the hairs. And then you can feel it in between your thighs every time you move. Just swishing, swishing, swishing. Like tiny little teeth are clawing at your body. And it starts to chafe, and you're like, why is this red? Why is it red? And then you move, and you run, and it's going all over your all over your legs. It's just little hands going ah, 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 up and down your thigh, and it's so thick every time it folds, it feels like it's poking you, like, hey, in case you didn't know I'm gonna fold here, I'm gonna fold over there in a minute. And then you've gotta wear a belt with them, because you're developing, and your body can't decide which part is wider. Your hips or your tummy are so little, but Puberty is happening, and you're wearing a belt, and it feels like someone is taking little knives and just carving into your stomach like you're a turkey on Thanksgiving, but actually you're just sitting down, and you're not really sure which belt buckle hole it's supposed to go in, but you apparently miscalculated, and then they start filling with sweat. And you can't just wear what would be something that would be more comfortable for you. Because, no, it has to be something that's roughly knee length. It has to be thick material, so on. And so you were in a branch of uh, Christianity that would that said shorts were okay for women. Yeah, but if I wore the wrong shorts, you know, it's, it's just how it is. I have to overheat so the men's penises don't overheat. That's just how it is. I grew up in Oklahoma. Summer camp, it'd be 110 degrees. Yikes. I, there is absolutely no reason for kids to be wearing shorts that come down close to their knees. The rules would change year by year, but it was not uncommon for a teacher or a leader of some kind to take a ruler and stick it in the inside of your thigh to see if it's long enough, which is really degrading. That's gross. It is. Um, I was a child, and um, being autistic, I felt all those things, and I assumed everyone else felt them too, but they don't and imagine that but with so many items of clothing that's a huge thing because i you know, i had just i just did this whole episode about ifb modesty rules and as i've talked to friends who were in the same environment as me it turns out that most people were uncomfortable but not everybody was absolutely miserable like not everybody was completely had their entire day thrown off because they couldn't get the seam on the bottom of their hose to sit straight. Yeah. Like that's not a day ruiner for everybody. It turns out. Imagine that with everything. Imagine that with the clothes you wear, the way you style your hair, the way you talk, the way you laugh. 
the things you eat, the things you like, the shows you watch, the ways you interact with other people, the jokes you tell, and the jokes you laugh at, because some you just don't find funny, but other people seem to. Imagine that with every single aspect of your life. This is what it is like for so many people who are autistic. If you're hyper aware of how you're being perceived by other people, how do people in this environment, like such as like Christian fundamentalism, where they're constantly under scrutiny from like pastors, parents, teachers, random busybodies, how do they deal with that? I think a lot of autistic people are not hyper aware of how they're seen by other people. They're hyper vigilant, but they're not aware. It's like you're trying to mm. read the signs, but you don't know what they mean. Autistic people and normal people have different social rules written into their brains. Autistic people will follow autistic social rules, and then they'll be told they're bitches. Uh, autistic people tend to not like small talk. I don't know why someone would want small talk. It feels like you're just avoiding the actual talk. It doesn't have to be something serious. It could just be something fun. Like bees. Bees are a great conversation. We love bees. That's not an autistic thing. It's just nice. Bees are nice. I don't get it when you meet someone and they're like, how are you? What's your job? What do you like to do? That's great. Introductory. But then they try to stick with that. Hmm. Oh, and it's nice. That's nice. That's nice. Oh, that's nice. No. Say something. Talk about bees. But for, I'm realizing that for normies, there's this thing where you got to ease into a conversation because it's hard to get in. You got to just open the door with these asinine little questions. <laughs> um, I don't do that. I could meet a random person on the street. And, well, part of this is the fact that I'm a professional comedian, too. <laughs> I can just say things to people. Not, uh, it's very common for autistics to have social anxiety. And I think a lot of that stems from this just idea of going into the world and realizing that everyone else seems to be following these rules that you don't know. You, you, you spend all day, every day, it seems, hearing people say, don't say that. Yes, I'm mad at you. You know what you did. Why do you have to be so rude? That was mean. Don't make it all about yourself. These things where there's an intent assumed that you have no idea where it came from. I mean, you haven't the foggiest clue. What was the question we were on? Uh, something about the, the way that do you hyperfocus on the way that you're perceived by others? And I think it's great that you brought that into social roles because there is a whole discussion about rules and fundamentalism. Yeah. I read, I read online that um, neurotypical people engage in small talk because it is building trust. It's more about the script and are you going to follow this social script with me? And it informs neurotypicals about the other person's willingness to follow social scripts. I don't have that. <laughs> See, I, d I don't either, but this is where like my fundamentalism experience comes in. Do I not have that because I could potentially be autistic 
or do I not have that? Because I was raised to walk straight up to people at six years old and say, hello, do you know for sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? So like, stop asking me questions with obvious answers. I don't think that's an obvious answer, Laura. No, but I I do think it's interesting, though, because Sadie, what you were talking about, like trying to build trust with people. If you found out that somebody that you were talking to when you were out soul winning was a Christian, would you immediately ask them like XYZ doctrine thing? Or would you try to like more under the radar suss out what kind of Christian this person was? You would ask them what denomination of church they were saved in. And if they like, if they said Catholic, they're not really saved. You can go ahead and witness. Um, if they said anything high church, so like Lutheran, Episcopals, some Presbyterians, you can just go ahead and witness because they're not really saved. The only except truly acceptable answer would be independent fundamental Baptist. And if they said they were Southern Baptist or Methodist the, or something similar, that's when you would get into doctrinal questions about salvation to trip them up and get them to give you the wrong answer. And then you can witness to them. So it would be like an, an, an interrogation. Cause like, see if I was, I guess I don't have the same sort of religious thing, but like, say I was um, going up to somebody and I'm trying to figure out whether I want to be friends with somebody or not. I'm just going to talk to them basically to try and suss out who they are, what they believe um, and and how they think about society in general um, to see if this person is going to be a friendly person to me or if this person is going to believe a lot of things that I find to be either harmful to myself or harmful to society. And that's more the way that I think I would go about it. And that's why I think I would make small talk with somebody that I don't know. I cut to the chase. I'm just like, hey, what's up with you? I'm struggling because I'm autistic and gay. How are you? <laughs> I don't say it like that, but it comes up remarkably quickly in conversation. <laughs> I have spent so much of my life terrified of everything. I have this cycle I go through, which is like terror that I will be hurt. And then eventually I realize that I'm just all pooped out. So I stop caring. I'm still afraid, but in a more abstract way. <laughs> I'll be like, oh no, is everyone going to get mad at me and hate me because I'm gay? And then after a while, I'm like, this is too much work. So we're going to go take up the offering. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about black and white thinking and how black and white thinking in Christian fundamentalism affects neurodivergent people differently. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. 
Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. We are here with Alora Dodd, aka Online One Room Schoolhouse. How are we feeling? I am feeling deliciously satiated from the mint cookies from Aldi's that I just ate during our break. Aldi's not a sponsor, but if it were, would you be mad? I don't. We don't have Aldi in Philadelphia. I don't. Or if we do, I've never been to one, but I've heard they're nice. There's like one in Oregon, but it's too far. Yeah. So I, I have a question for you. Does having a strict rule book and a very black and white things that are allowed versus things that are not allowed make it easier to live in some respects? Does having like yeah. Yeah, like a prescribed regimented standard of what is or isn't an appropriate or acceptable social interaction make things easier, like you get in fundamentalism, or does the stress of following all of the rules and not being able to express yourself as you wish make things more difficult? You're following the rules anyway. You're following the rules anyway. You, When I was a kid, I panicked about how to speak, how to move, how to stand, how to everything i was so self-conscious but had no idea what i was supposed to be doing in the terms of social situations at least with religious rules they write them down that's fair you don't know why people think everything you wear looks ugly and frumpy and why it looks bad on your body and you wonder if maybe you're a hideous mole woman wait that's a kimmy schmidt reference which is remarkably apt then you go to church and they say, here's the ruler to stick up your thigh. And you're like, well, at least I know now. It also gives you a very um, therapeutic superiority complex. Because everyone looks down at you anyway for not following the unspoken rules. But at least you can look back down at them for not following the spoken rules. It's one of the damaging superiority complexes, but not as bad as some of the others. As far as superiority complexes go, the bad ones are all like, the you know the ones, racism and sexism and stuff. The harmless ones all have to do with weather. That's always the best superiority complex to have if you need one, is just to be like, well, I can drive in snow. You know, I'm, I'm with you on that one because I have my whole harmless conspiracy theory. theory. Like, I think everybody is entitled to one pet conspiracy theory that they fully believe in if you have more than like one or two you're maybe taking it too far but everybody should get one um like mine clearly is the kennedy assassination and that one's fine because we know there was a conspiracy right it can't be you're trying to bait me you're not going to get me today coffee (laughs) it can't be like something racist it can't be something it can't be something cruel to people it can't be something that causes real life harm but if you want your one little um harmless conspiracy theory you can have one and i think 
harmless superiority complex is a great addition to my harmless conspiracy theory theory everyone has that one thing where they're like oh you're afraid of a little rain or they were like sandals in the snow and they're like oh you can't take it no i think mine is probably that i can eat the spiciest food yeah exactly see that's we have the spectrum of superiority complexes mine mine i'm from oklahoma okay lizards here shoot blood out of their eyes at you we have death winds come out and we have picnics. <laughs> the tornado's coming and you're like, oh my gosh, break out the lemonade. <laughs> Mine is probably how many Bible verses I can quote. <laughs> okay, but that's getting into the realm of like Fundy uh, superiority complex, though. That one's still... It's Fundy, but, but it's not harmful. It doesn't hurt anybody. And I would argue that it often helps people because I will quote Bible verses and then tell people why they don't mean what they think it means. Okay, so on... On on the next, like going off of this last question, though, do you think that there is a reluctance for some neurodivergent people to leave an environment where they know all of the rules that might hinder people deconstructing? One of the big traits of autism is struggling with change. Thank you, Gabby. One of the big autistic traits is struggling with change. And one of the big Christian nationalist traits is also struggling with change. So I think those might go together a little bit sometimes. Yeah, the whole Jack Hiles things of we never change. I definitely don't want to make like broad strokes here, but I'm sure that for some specific people, things like homophobia and transphobia are really comforting because you go into church and you hate all the same people you've always hated and you're okay. You go into church and they say, oh my goodness, society is changing. That's a problem and you should be mad about it. And you're like, good, because I was mad about it. <laughs> I mean, that's just not just an autistic thing. People struggle with change. I like yeah, to use the metaphor for autism of autistic people like to dive. If a normal person, if their brain were the ocean, a lot of times they'd be a snorkeler. They're going on the surface. Sure, they're still under the water thinking about things, observing things, understanding things, but they're not diving particularly deep. And this isn't me calling neurotypical people shallow. I'm saying that autistic people dive so deep into whatever they're thinking about, feeling about, learning about, hoping about, dreaming about, that you can essentially get the mental bends when you try to come up. I'm serious here. Autistic people are like scuba divers. Neurotypical people are like snorkelers. It means that autistic people can observe and learn and think about and grow in areas sometimes really fast by diving super deep into the subject. While um, normies might struggle to do that as easily, but they can get from place to place. Let's say that you've got some normal kids and some autistic kids and they're all doing math homework. The autistic kid can focus really well. He might be able to do the math homework nonstop for three hours and not get up to pee or anything. Just in the zone. That doesn't mean that the normal kid couldn't get in the zone, but the autistic kid might get in the zone a lot easier if he can do that. I mean, it depends if you're good at math and if you like math. But if they're both good at math and they both like math, the autistic kid might get into this, I just... I'm trying to find the words to describe it. When you're autistic and the hyperfixation hits, 
It's like a drug. I'm not even kidding. Well, it probably is because of dopamine. Like there's a brain chemical involved. Yeah. But when the mom of those two kids comes in and tells them, hey, I need you to wa- ro- uh, what's the word? Load the dishwasher. The autistic kid might get really upset while the normie kid can just go and unload the dishwasher. And then the autistic kid gets punished and grounded for sassing his mom or gets punished for not unloading the dishwasher like he was told to because he was still focused on math. It's like you can literally get the bends mentally from having to come up from a subject too fast. And I, I know I'm, we're going to get angry letters. <laughs> people are going to, I don't think I'm explaining this very well. I'm sure people are going to be like, you're not doing a good job at that. But I think I get what you're talking about. So much of autistic traits can be explained by this idea of diving deep, having trouble with change. Well, you've dove deep it's hard to adjust to something else needing to plan things ahead of time yeah because to really enjoy them you're diving deep and you're gonna get the bends if you come up too fast Hyperfixations and special interests and just in general being obsessed over things yeah why would you like something at a surface level when you can get super obsessed with it (laughs) and dive deep this is how autistics and that is something that is seen as incredibly holy in religion However, you are expected to be able to move from place to place at the same time. In many, many, many religious communities, you have this idea of being able to switch subjects, move on from this thing to another thing, but also they want you to be super diving deep. Uh, let, me, let me explain. They want you to be obsessed with reading your Bible, but you're supposed to be able to do it for five minutes a day and then move on to something else if you need to. You're supposed to want to memorize the Bible, but you should be able to just take it in small pieces in Sunday school. You're supposed to want to worship all day long, but if you go to church, you're only supposed to worship for a few songs. Everything is set up in small bite-sized pieces, but yet you get rewarded for diving deep, which makes it a minefield. That reminds me of a child that I knew who didn't like to memorize just one verse of the Bible and would prefer to memorize the whole chapter. Was that child you? That was me. Yes, it was me. Hi, Sadie. <laughs> because the, it, it, it flows better and gets you more points at summer camp. No, I think all of this, the, the idea of diving deep, the idea of thinking in a more literal and concrete way, really plays well with fundamentalism rules if the person in this situation is wanting to follow the rules yes uh, let's let's briefly discuss special interests special interests are something that an autistic gets super obsessed with like for example the kennedy assassinations or the dead bodies on mount everest yes i know i've heard <laughs> So is there like some special interests aside from just your special interest being I love religion, I love theology. Are there some special interests that if you're in fundamentalism would be encouraged rather than some that would be um, actively discouraged or seen as somehow demonic or evil? I mean, it's a it's a grab bag. You don't necessarily choose your special interests. I think there are ways to kind of trigger one. I'm like just. I'm learning with myself how to put my brain in the in a state where it is the most susceptible to special interests. When I am really like a mini special interest, 
um, when I'm really struggling mentally, I'm, I'm practicing methods that are still very murky, but I'm getting there of getting my brain open to obsessing over something because that's what I need sometimes. But it's still not like I get it. You know, it's like I work hard to get my brain into the right mindset. And then I watch a bunch of YouTube videos and see what sticks. So I have something to obsess over for the next month. You can't just pick one. You can't. In church, if you are obsessed with the Bible, that's great. If you are obsessed with sharks, then, well, you really do need to stop focusing so much about sharks and focus on Jesus. Clearly, God isn't that important to you because you bring your shark stuffed animal to church. But there's, there's a, you know, that depends. That depends on different people. Some people see a kid carrying around a comfort stuffed animal every day and they're like, okay, whatever, kids do kid things. Other people see that as, well, their parents need to teach them to take God seriously. And we also have to, <laughs> we have to address that there's, there's special interests that will get you brownie points at church. There's special interests that people might look down on for not being holy enough. There's special interests that someone might think are evil. Like if you have a special interest in true crime at church, I'm pretty sure people are going to be like, oh, the devil is in you. Um, but there's a, there's a fourth category, which is special interests that are encouraged as long as you have this little disclaimer that it's for God. This is what I mm. had growing up. Because my special interest since I was born has been performing arts. I am always performing. I took every opportunity. In my homeschool co-op gave clogging classes. I took clogging. I did dance for 17 years. I was a dance minor in college. I was a musical theater major. I studied opera from the age of sixth grade. Sixth grade. The grade of sixth. And in church, this is very much encouraged with the little asterisk that of course you're going to be using it in the ministry if mm -hmm. a kid is obsessed with playing guitar everyone's excited because you can play guitar for jesus if a kid is obsessed with pokemon you can't play pokemon for jesus so you're screwed and of course i'm making generalizations i want to add a disclaimer on everything because there's no way we can even begin to express the autism experience or the church experience much less the autistic in church experience here i'm listing some common threads whether they apply to everyone or not but I think this is something that a lot of people in your, your Facebook group are going to identify with, whether they were autistic or not growing up in church, is that you have something special to you and the way you get permission to love it, not permission to participate in it even, permission to love it, permission to like it, permission to enjoy it, is that you have this explicit plan of how you're going to use it for God. Like people would talk about, oh, are you going to join that one ballet company that does ballets for Jesus? See, this is interesting because, I mean, I'm always used to hearing about the kind of fundies that, you know, dance is not allowed or music with drums in it is not allowed or, or guitars or whatever are not allowed. But this is this is really interesting to hear. Uh, are there like some, spe I guess you were raised in a pretty, you were raised with like purity culture, right? Yeah. So, like, if you had a, a special interest that also coincided with performing the correct gender role, then that would also be encouraged. Look, it's hard to state this sort of thing, because as a kid, 
there weren't many other autistics around. So I didn't have a lot of friends to draw this information from. (laughs) There's a certain amount of guesswork that's necessary here because I was just me (laughs) and there weren't many other people to look to. But yeah, that was a a really, it's just in autism in general, your experience in the world, even your experience with whether you get diagnosed has a lot to do with what your big special interests are. I mean, if you're a little boy who starts memorizing the model numbers for trains, you're in luck. You might get a diagnosis. If you're a little girl who starts memorizing all the facts about different K-pop band members and knows them exactly as well as that little boy who likes trains, then you're just boy crazy. It has a lot to do with the way that society Mm. perceives your interests and how useful they are. I think a lot of people who weren't raised in Christian homes would get the same feeling that I got from feeling like all of my special interests had to have a distinctly holy purpose. You good? Yeah, I'm good. I just sneezed. I think a lot of people... I think a lot of people would have a similar experience with the idea of making money. It's like, oh, you like Pokemon? Uh, what are you going to do with that? But your cousin Bill, who's totally got his life together, even though he's obviously autistic, just like you, he is obsessed with science. So he's going to become a doctor. Why can't you be like Bill when you and Bill are the exact same person? Bill is obsessed with science the same way you're obsessed with Pokemon. Bill spends all day watching science videos the same way you spend all day watching Pokemon videos. Bill can tell you all about the human body and you can tell all about every single Pokemon ever invented. But it doesn't matter because Bill's is convenient for society. That's what you're looking at. And it is the same thing in church. You spin the roulette wheel and hope you come up with something that people don't think makes you possessed. Okay, so like if you're a young man and you have a, a, and I guess maybe your special interest is something outdoor related or, or something nature related or something ecology related, well, you can spin that into being like, oh, well, I really, I'm going to get really into bow hunting. And bow hunting is manly. Bow hunting is is a, a Christian manly thing to do. Yes. That okay. But if you get if you get that same level of joy and fulfillment from fashion design, then no, yeah, uh-oh. you can't do that. One thing that's important to note is that a lot of autistics, um, when they find out they're autistic, especially if they're late diagnosed, like they didn't know when they were a kid, and they become an adult and they find out, it's often it's not unusual for autism to become a special interest for a couple years there as you're trying to learn everything you can about that. Well, it's part of self-discovery. Like you have to learn everything you can about yourself. And so if you learn about this diagnosis that you have, then you can learn everything that you need to. Okay, that that makes a ton of sense. So I have another question about the um, special interests are fine as long as you can spend them for Jesus thing. That's certain environments, I should clarify. Every parent is different. There are so many beautiful, amazing, hippie, skippy parents out there whose kids are like, I'm obsessed with rocks. And they'll be like, yes, you are, baby. Have you ever seen it where, like, can the, you have to spend your special interest into a Jesus thing. Can that kill a special interest for a kid? Oh, God. I was, I was a big reader as a kid. Um, I really enjoyed, I read 
all of the Nancy Drew books, all of the Hardy Boy books I could get my hands on. I enjoyed Louisa May Alcott books. I enjoyed the Anne of Green Gables books and everything else by Ellen Montgomery. I liked the Ramona Quimby series, but my dad really wanted me to read biographies. And I was like seven years old and reading on an advanced level. So I was old enough to comprehend and he would give me biographies to read and I just hated reading biographies. And it felt like it crushed the interest I had in reading. And eventually he realized that and stopped trying to make me read biographies because he was a nice dad. Do, have you ever seen it where somebody has a special interest, but when they are made to spin it into a for the ministry thing or a for Jesus thing, it crushes the special interest? I mean, I don't have any specific examples of that, but I'm sure it happens. Um, the, a good way to explain the way that you feel with a special interest to someone who hasn't experienced that is, you know, when you get a new puppy or a new kitten and you're obsessed with them, you're taking pictures all the time. You're posting videos of them to all your Instagram friends, whether they want to see it or not. You're sending messages to your family group chat. You're holding them in your arms. The moment that they whimper, you're like, what's wrong? And as time goes on, that wears off. But it doesn't mean you love your dog less. In fact, you probably love your dog more because your relationship has grown and you know them in a deep way. It doesn't mean that at the beginning when you were obsessed with that dog, that you loved them and then the love went away. It just meant that for a while, there was a special kind of joy that you couldn't find anywhere else. And it was so wonderful. That's what a special interest feels like. It feels like for whatever reason, my little pony or trains or Pokemon or sharks or dead bodies on Mount Everest give you that feeling like of a new puppy and you want to spend more time on it. You want to learn more about it. You want to tell people about it because it just gives you that feeling. Now imagine if every time you felt that feeling, people looked at you and were like, why can't you do this with other things? It'd be like if you got a new puppy and your mom was like, why are you so obsessed with the puppy when you, sh you could be obsessed with cleaning your room? And then made you not spend any time with the puppy until the room was clean. But you didn't have any energy to clean the room. You only had energy for the puppy. That's what it's like being autistic. All day long, people look at you and they say, why can't you just do something? I saw you do it before, but it was a different circumstance and it doesn't make sense. And then you go to church and you wonder why you're so evil because you obviously love something more than jesus because reading lamentations doesn't make you feel that amazing wonderful special way that watching h2o just add water does and you think i'm a horrible sinner i have an idol in my life this must be an idol because when i read nancy drew i feel this zing inside of me and i don't feel that when i'm sitting here squeezing my hands just to make it so that i don't feel like i have to scream rod straight in a pew listening to someone tell me that i'm not good enough that's what it's like growing up in a in a strict christian environment as an autistic kid everything you struggle with means that you're not trying hard enough but even the things that you can do really well mean that you're evil 
because you should feel that way about God. It is impossible to win as an autistic person in life in general, but in church, they will attach heaven and hell to it. You hope that you luck out. You hope that you become obsessed with learning foreign languages so you can be a good missionary or something. So that goes right back to what you were saying about diving deep, because I think a lot of those experiences on the surface are relatable to neurotypical people who grew up in fundamentalism. Being a kid who wants to do the fun thing and not sit and read their Bible is relatable to neurotypical people in fundamentalism. The feeling of never measuring up or never being good enough for the rules is a pretty typical experience of any kid who grew up in fundamentalism. But I think what you've really just illustrated very well is how autism can make all of those typical kid of fundamentalism experiences so much deeper and more personal and more related to your identity as a person. Yes, because fundamentalism raises the stakes. Can I read you a little bit of an Instagram post I posted Please. just a couple of days ago? Oh, yeah, I remember this one. It. It's totally worth sharing. Yeah, so there's one I, I posted, and it's called How Culty Churches Ruin Good Ideas by Raising the Stakes. So let's use an example. I'm going to use an example of a good idea, and the good idea is give money to the poor. That sounds like a good idea, right? It's a nice idea. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we support it. Uh, a way that a culty church might raise the stakes is preaching that if you're not doing a good thing, you're doing a bad thing. At church camp, more than once, I got told this story of a man who went to a movie theater with his mom. And when he was in there, his mom was all anxious and nervous. And he asked her why. And she said, if Jesus comes back right now, I don't want him to find me doing this. And that was taught to me multiple times throughout my childhood as an example of holiness. Because you shouldn't be wasting your time on a movie. Because Jesus might come back. Do you want, like, can you imagine? Sadie can imagine. That's crazy. Can you imagine, Bobby, what it's like to be a kid and you're taking a bath and suddenly you're like, oh no, if Jesus comes back right now, I'm going to be one of the bad Christians who was taking a bath instead of the good Christians who were saving orphans. I mean, that really, I mean, I'm trying to imagine, I mean, you like, and sometimes you just have to kind of chance it. Yeah. I mean, and, and you'd have to think like, how far can I push myself to? Right. I think if you're, I think like more for neurotypical people in fundamentalism, there's an understanding of, well, I also have to eat. I also have to sleep. I also have to take basic care of my physical body. But when you add in specifically autistic people who think a lot more literally and in a more concrete fashion, the takeaway from that kind of statement can be, well, then I should push myself to be witnessing as close to 24 hours a day as possible, literally, even if yeah. that means neglecting taking care of my own basic needs, because then that gives me a higher chance of doing the right thing when Jesus comes back. So that takes the good idea of give money to the poor and turns it into, I ate a taco instead of giving the taco to the poor. I'm a f***ing loser. There are eight of these ideas. How many do you want to hear? 
That's, I mean, that's crazy though. But like, I definitely do know people that think like that and not necessarily religious people. Religion is supposed to help with these issues, but when you raise the stakes, it makes it worse. Yeah. I mean, Im- <sighs> well, I mean imagine. Go rapid fire. I mean, it's just, yeah, diff- go- yeah, go for it. So if, if someone says, uh, give money to the poor, but then they raise the stakes, your church teaches, if someone sees you doing bad, they'll stop believing in Jesus because of it. Like I told you earlier. Okay. So now you, you refused a panhandler, but you were wearing a cross necklace. How many people around you are going to hell now? Cause they think Christians don't care about the poor. Okay. The good idea is give money to the poor, but what about all those slippery slope sermons where one bad mistake leads to bigger mistake? Leads to heroin, leads to AIDS, leads to pornography, leads to anal sex. Well, if you didn't give money to charity because you couldn't afford it, now you might be afraid that you'll never give money to charity again, and you're a horrible person, and you feel like you need to repent for all these sins you haven't even committed. (laughs) I felt that a lot growing up. I'd be like, oh no, I did a small thing. I better really, really try to be sorry now, because... If I don't, I'm going to do all those big things. I need to be sorry for this road I started down. Also, yeah. side note. No, I see how that happened in your brain. No, that makes can perfect sense, though. about how horrible it is to be taught that even a tiny lie is always bad. Every lie is bad. But then you're autistic and you really struggle with communication and explaining your thoughts. So if you said... Um, I was kind of sad yesterday, but then you think about it and you're like, was I really sad? Is that the most precise word? Or was I agitated? Oh, fuck. I lied, which killed Jesus. All sins are equal. I just said I was sad instead of agitated. I murdered Jesus just there. Imagine that for my entire childhood. Y'all are awfully quiet. Have you not heard that one before? Is that new? I haven't. I've just kind of like every, every time I that's kind of how I process things is like every time I hear something and I'm just like, fuck, that's kind of like I, I kind of end up with like a loss for words. That's where all the mouth noises on the podcast come from. Yeah, I actually no. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a soundboard of those and then drop them in. So that one's going to be like a. No, I was just going to impersonate yeah. you and go. Yeah, that's like, like a horse noise. Impersonation. Do you like yeah. it? Um, I, I liked it. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I got some more. Yeah, you hit us with some more because like these are really enlightening for me to hear. Yeah, the good idea is give money to the poor. Now let's raise the stakes. Maybe your church teaches that you have a responsibility to be to a, a role model to everyone else all the time. So you didn't give money in the offering plate because you, you know, you paid it online. But now you're like, what if people think that it's okay not to give money in the offering plate? Uh Oh, what if that causes a a trigger effect so that other people don't want to give money to church? I might have just cost the church thousands of dollars. The good idea is give money to the poor. Mm. Your church raises the stakes. By saying every unexplained thought is God or Satan talking to you. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sadie, tell me, growing up in your version of fundamentalism, how much was unexplained thoughts attributed to spiritual causes? Uh, I wouldn't want to say 100% of the time, so I'll say 99% of the time. Yeah. I saw some really bad stuff at Oral Roberts University when I attended. Um, I don't want to go into detail because it involves other people's trauma. But 
if you take a ton of young people and push them to their limit, always adding more expectations for them, which in my opinion, Oral Roberts University did. They say that they're about whole person education, but in my opinion, that doesn't mean that they're actually interested in helping you become a better person in all these areas. They're interested in pushing you to work hard in all these areas, regardless of whether you have the energy. Now imagine a school that does that, that is constantly pushing you to your limit. Also curating a culture of anyone can prophesy at any time. Anyone can hear the voice of God and change a generation. Anyone can be given mysterious messages. Imagine that. Imagine a school where people are constantly near their limit. In my opinion, that's just what I saw. Probably a lot of people weren't at their limit, but it seemed like that to me. And then you're telling them at any moment you could hear important information. It's not a good combination. No. And it hurts people. I mean, that like, it's like, what was the, the, there was some TikTok that blew up a couple months ago that somebody showed me that's like, your th- that says something like your intrusive thoughts. That's really just your, uh, your intuition or something. And oh every- my god, do you you saw that? My intrusive one. thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, am I good? That's not even the worst of them. I'll just you know my intrusive thoughts have gone way down, way down. Man, if you think that's bad, don't ask me about mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sadie and I probably have the same intrusive thoughts. Yeah, don't ask me about that and don't ask me about my PTSD dreams. No, but like for, for real though, like people who I mean, we've all been like in sleep sleep deprived situations or place, times when we've been under serious stress. After you get done with something like that, your brain does some weird things and thinks some weird things and you write out some weird things that you think are genius and then you look at them in the morning and you're like, I was an idiot. But if you're constantly in that state and anybody can hear from God, then it's not a great combination. No, it's not. And I mean, just telling people, oh, you're, you know, you could be a prophet. Then I think that the people who are the people who are most inclined to believe that they themselves are prophets are also the people who are most likely to have prophecies that are evil or abusive or uh, uh, cruel or uh I, I want to say what is the the not self empowering uh, self aggrandizing. What I thought was really interesting is how the IFB institutionalizes raising the stakes. For example, in the IFB, drinking is a sin, but walking through the aisle where they sell alcohol in the grocery store is also a sin because somebody might think that you are going to buy alcohol. Exactly. And then you're not being a good example and and you're not having a good testimony. Um, This is why movies are banned in the IFB because the IFB typically allows all G-rated movies and some PG-rated movies. Um, But the reason you can't go to the movie theater is because somebody could see you walking in and they don't know what movie you're there to see. And they could assume Mm -hmm. that you're there to see a wicked movie And then you're not being a good example. You're not being a good testimony, slippery slope, so on and so forth. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the ways in which fundamentalism can raise the stakes and make an already difficult situation feel even more difficult for people who are neurodivergent. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Sadie popping in from the future to say this is the section that contains discussion of self harm and suicidal thoughts. There are not any graphic details about that given. So to swing back to the idea of unexplained thoughts being God talking to you. Remember how we just been talking this whole time about autistic people having different needs for communication, different needs for clothing, different needs for the way that they structure their entire lives. If you don't know that you have those needs and you are spending all of your time and all of your energy trying to suppress those needs so you can fit in and be good enough and be holy, you are going to have a massive number of unexplained impulses. Oh, no. Oh. If you have different needs from everyone around you, but you are not allowed to ever act on them, you are going to have unlimited, massive powerful impulses inside your brain. I'm going to share a very traumatic story that demonstrates that. When I was in college, it got to the point where I could hear my own voice screaming in my head when I was in class, literally. It wasn't a hallucination. I could determine the difference between it and what I was hearing. And it was paired with intrusive thoughts showing extremely graphic, in-depth, detailed methods of me ending my own life. And this was constant. And it continued after I dropped out of school. When I was online and started hearing about other autistic people's experiences, and I thought, maybe I'm autistic, I decided, and this was a, this was a process, I didn't just decide I'm autistic overnight. I learned a lot for a long period of time, and I had spent a massive amount of time learning about how my brain worked in therapy, so I could try to fix it. And it all lined up. All those years trying to find out how my brain worked and all these explanations from other people about how their brain worked. So even, it, was, it was a lot of work that went into building up to this moment. So I decided I'm going to give myself a free trial of autism. Whenever I have a problem, I am going to just try to fix it in the way that an autistic person would need to fix it. At this point, the thoughts were pretty much nonstop. I'd walk my dog and see detailed explanations of me killing myself. I'd take a shower and see detailed explanations of me killing myself. It was, it was awful. It was overwhelming. Sometimes the screaming in my head. And so I'd seen that autistic people in movies and TV shows would like flap their hands when they're upset. I flapped my hands and it stopped. Really? 
I thought I was going to have to live the rest of my life with these horrible intrusive images and screaming sometimes in my own head that I had had for a couple years at that point, And I flapped my hands in the kitchen and it stopped. Therapy didn't stop it. Weird techniques where they put electrodes on your head and make you watch the Dick Van Dyke show. That's a thing. That's another thing. Uh, Wait, what? It's a weird. It was, there's some new therapies that are being developed at all times for brain health. And there was one we tried where it like sends like positive messages through electrodes or something. While, but you have to like do something to pass the time. So they'd always just like put the Dick Van Dyke show on because I like the Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> That's I like the Dick Van Dyke show. I can see this working. I cried so much. I went to so many therapists and so many professionals. I had inpatient um, psychiatric care because my life was in danger at this point. And I flapped my hands and they shut up. They weren't ever supposed to shut up. Nothing made them shut up. And then all I had to do was flap my hands. Until you met your sensory needs. It was a moment of And I'm serious. I am dead serious. My brain needed to stim. But biting your nails is unhygienic and sucking your thumb makes you a baby. My brain needed to stim. But dancing around is distracting and pacing makes your pants go swish, which annoys people. I needed to stim. But wiggling means you're not paying attention and doodling means you're not taking it seriously. I needed to stim. But watching something interesting move meant that I wasn't even making an effort. I needed to stim. But singing was annoying and far too loud. I needed to stim. And I never could. So you know what? My brain invented something to stim with. My brain literally made my own voice scream in terror in my head because I could not function without stimulation. And I flapped my hands and it went away. This is how serious I needed to just be able to follow my own impulses. Do you really think I would have made those thoughts go away earlier if I could? Of course I could, but I had spent so many years never meeting my own needs, never following what I needed, that I didn't even know what I needed anymore. So yeah, I felt tons of strange impulses in church. Everything from intrusive thoughts to, to, to impulses, but more than that, to just the need to jump up and scream. And I thought it made me so wicked. I thought it made me so evil that I constantly wanted to jump up and shake my butt in church. And it's not. I can't express how much it ruins a child. To believe that every one of their needs and impulses are evil. But when you're raised in church, it takes it to another level. Because you believe that your needs and impulses are not only evil, but that there's someone whispering them into your mind. And you really, really hope it's not the bad one. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that was difficult but i really appreciate that you gave us that gift it's not that difficult a very impassioned speaker i i know i think our listeners will really understand like they'll they'll hear the level of passion 
that I think they're hearing the level of passion that you're speaking with and they'll understand how serious this is that you're talking about it because this does affect a lot of people. I think what we're talking about here is like a two-sided coin situation. Um, Fundamentalism on a surface level almost seems like it's made for an autistic brain. Yeah. But it's this fantasy world where all the rules are written out. But below the surface, it's the worst possible thing for an autistic brain. Yeah. And we didn't even get to all the ways of raising the stakes. We got through about four and a half. So I have one final question. Um, This is something that you wrote about on Instagram way back when I first started following you before we had our mutual fangirl moment of, oh my God, you know who I am. Oh my God, you know who I am Uh, and became internet friends. So my question is... You're more than internet friends, Sadie. Well, now we are. We're friends in real life. I sent your child the Squishmallow. (laughs) That makes you her favorite (laughs) favorite person. (laughs) I set out to give her child a Squishmallow. I was sending her religious research books. (laughs) And ran out of packaging. But my question is, what do churches need to do to be neurodivergent friendly what are some innovations that churches can do well i'm going to take it a step further and just say what can churches do to be disability accessible in general and there is one big key takeaway that'll help every single church become disability accessible if you don't know where to start just ask how many options are there for this how many Mm. options because You will never be able to create one experience that is good for everyone. For example, let's say that you are having a church youth group night and everyone can have hot dogs. And then a kid shows up who's allergic to gluten. He can't enjoy the night. But if you had hot dogs and corn chips, you have an option. The and is what makes things acceptable. If you're a fundamentalist church, gluten allergies aren't real. They were invented by the woke agenda to wussify our children. I don't think the real fundamentalist churches care about being disability accessible and <laughs> at all. No, this is for churches that are actually trying to churches do Churches that right care. Thing. Yeah. So those. would that apply to like options? Um, you can ask yourself, okay, what about service? Can they watch service online? It's here and online what about the music is there really loud music when i was at oru when we were in chapel there would be a crowd of disabled students in the lobby some of them crying from pain there were people whose joints were literally rattled by how loud the bass was people who couldn't breathe with their asthma because of all the smoke that they put in the air people like me who were just overstimulated and couldn't handle it People who um, just, I mean, there's a whole a whole crowd of people who couldn't handle chapel because it was loud and smoky and the whole room shook. And there were so many flashing lights. Hope you don't have epilepsy. So for options for that, the church could provide a contemporary worship service and an acoustic service. Yes, or just an overflow room. Yeah, I was going to say an overflow room, a sensory-friendly overflow room with neutral lighting, reduced noise, and ask people not to wear heavy scents in there. 
Yeah. Um, you could have even just a, uh, a seating area out in your lobby. A lot of churches already have this. You could put a screen out there that shows what's going on inside the church. A lot of churches already have that too. And just a little sign that says like, if you can't handle it, you're welcome to sit out here. My background and my heart is really with smaller church congregations as opposed to mega churches. I have nothing against really big churches. I know that there are big churches that care and are progressive, but growing up as the pastor's kid in a very small church, I'm looking for these things that are, that make church disability accessible, but are also possible for very small congregations to pull off. And I love that a lot of these solutions are things that are accessible to small congregations. Now, a lot of it is just things that people might assume you know. Like, oh, well, if people come here, they know that they're allowed to step out. They know that they're allowed to be in another room. No, we don't know that. Other churches might see that as not taking Jesus seriously enough. It can make a huge difference to just say, if you have allergies, let us know. We have um, spare food in the back that we can cook you. If you have an issue, let us know. We'll try to resolve it. That can make a huge difference. But like if you're coming to say you're leaving a hardcore fundamentalism and you're ending up in a denomin in like a non-denominational Christian service that it maybe it isn't quite like mega church but it's like mega church that kind of vibe where they're going to have a worship service with the music and you're used to the pastor saying if you don't sit through the whole service if you have to step out for any reason then you don't love Jesus enough Jesus will give you the power to I guess not have to pee or whatever or but like, if you're used to being guilted into feeling like you have to stay, sometimes you do need that said explicitly. This is a thing that's allowed and it's okay if you do this and nobody's judging you if you do that. And it has to come from the top. No, nah, I think, I think disability is actually handled probably the best in mega churches out of any churches I've ever been to. Do you think that's part of the appeal of like mega churches? I don't think mega churches are good in a lot of, op- op- uh, you know, things like Hillsong, they, they can turn into cults. I think there's a lot of downsides to mega churches, but mega churches are operating a lot of the times with a business mindset, and that makes them think about disabled people. It's horrible to say out loud, but I think a lot of churches are motivated by money to be inclusive more than they're motivated by Jesus. Not to say that megachurches don't, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there are some people in megachurches who very much care. Um, I'm making, I'm doing broad strokes. Um, But also there's the thing in a megachurch where you can just fade into the crowd. And when you're disabled, that can be the best thing that can ever happen to you. Because you walk into a church disabled, and sometimes people will descend on you like flies trying to fix you. And I cannot describe how horrible it is to feel like you always have one step further to get to where you can just worship Jesus with everyone else. They won't say you're a second class citizen. Actually, some will. But a lot of churches just insist on praying for you. And every time they talk to you, they want to know if they can heal you. It's like you're always one step behind everyone else. You can't be close enough to Jesus. Because you're supposed to get fixed first. And if they're the ones that are like healing you, then it's about them being a healer. That's never about what's making your life actually better. Yes. Not always. There are good people. 
there's plenty of good yeah, people. I'm sure. I, that's a whole different conversation. We could do an entire episode on my experiences at Oral Roberts University. You could also do an entire exp- um, video at uh, Oral Roberts himself. I mean, there's so many places we could go from here. No, I was just going to say, when you come, like, we have to wrap our episode for today, but when you come back, I would love to do an entire second episode on disability and the church. Um, yeah. Because I think your insights are really valuable, but I wanted to give people a sneak peek of what that will be like. Um, because I think there there are a lot of churches that care and don't know how to care. Yeah, a lot of people see like um, disabled people and they're very selfishly focused on themselves, but they don't realize it. Let me put it this way. You see someone in a wheelchair and subconsciously you're afraid that it'll happen to you. So you go up to them and say, hey, have you tried yoga? And they look at you like they want to kill you because they're just trying to get macaroni. They did not ask you to come up and tell them that downward dog is going to fix their spine. But people do this. They're always looking for a solution with disabled people. It's either you're not trying hard enough or, well, you just must be a faker. Or you just must not have tried my pyramid scheme product. Everyone wants to believe that you just aren't as smart as them, as rich as them, as powerful as them, as strong as them, as hardworking as them, as clever as them. But that's not how disability works. Disability is the only minority group that anyone can enter at any time. And people don't want to admit that. So they do whatever they can to make themselves feel more comfortable around you by convincing themselves that you just aren't as good as them. Even if you don't realize that's why you're doing it, I think a lot of people do that. Do you really think that person in Walmart hasn't heard of yoga? They've likely been disabled for years or even their whole life. And they just haven't tried the most obvious health and fitness trend of the last 30 years. Churches do this too. Religious people do this too. And they usually turn to Jesus to do it. You're sick or injured or hurting or struggling or disadvantaged. You just haven't prayed like I do. It is incredibly demeaning. And I have a lot of firsthand experience with it. And uh, that's probably not the best way to end this episode because it sounds kind of judgy. Um, I prefer to end on something happier. So you should know that they recently discovered a mole that they thought was extinct. A species of mole is back. Isn't that great news? That's amazing. That's fantastic. I'm happy to hear that. It's in South Africa. That's better news than disabled people are treated terribly by Christians. (laughs) I think I saw that on the the uplifting news subreddit. I follow that one. I don't follow any of the news news subreddits or or any of those because it's all just like, here's everything bad that's happening. I follow the uplifting news subreddit. That's the only one. Alora, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming on and talking about this topic um, and really giving us the, you know, I mean, the, the lowdown on this topic that we've been wanting to talk about for literally years. And now we've actually, you know, I feel like we've covered, I, I mean, there's an ocean of, to use your metaphor, there's a deep, deep ocean of content that we could make about this topic and and going into the specifics. But I want to say thank you so much for coming on and and talking to us about this because your insight is really valuable. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Would you like to share 
your social media handles with our listeners so that they can find more of your comedy and more of your church stuff? You can just search my name, Alora Dodd, E-L-O-R-A-D-O-D-D. I often go by Online One Room Schoolhouse because I started out as a history account sharing fun history facts. But that was a while ago. That is I had long wondered about ago. that. <laughs> yeah, that's where it comes from. This has been the Leaving Eden podcast, also known as the <laughs> podcast to Fundy Fridays. Oh, I wish we were that big. <laughs> wish we were that popular uh no we do love jen though uh thank you guys uh thank you so much for coming on and thank you guys for listening um you can follow the podcast on uh facebook and instagram and threads at leaving eden podcast um you can join our facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus you can follow me on social media at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n Sadie, you want to plug your socials? Nah, I'm good. No, you can follow. Okay, cool. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram <laughs> at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. This has been the Leaping Eden Podcast, where people go to feel better about their childhoods, <laughs> or, worse. or to feel worse Sometimes about their worse. childhoods. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the atheist parents go for reassurance that they could be doing worse. <laughs> thank you guys so much for tuning in uh you have a great day bye-bye i